testing. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Boomerang's class. This is the class part of class, coffee and conversate. So we're glad you're all here. I just want to open up in prayer this morning. Thank you, God, for just a beautiful and gorgeous day today. My kind of day, just sunny sunshine on my shoulders and cool breezes. It's just a beautiful, beautiful day. I just rejoice. Thank you, God, for putting me here and letting me experience something like that right off the bat this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this chance to sit and learn a little bit about your word and your nature. We just ask that you move and work in today. And as I speak, that your will and your words are just spoken here and they come to life. We just thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, you know, last week we, we talked about uh, the fruit of salvation, and it, it's kind of a heady lesson. It's got a lot of meat to it, so uh, we're just going to kind of recap real quickly what we did last week, and then we're going to move into some questions. So this was, uh, it was written by Don Crow, and, and this is a very scripture-heavy lesson, and he brought up the concept of, uh, it, can faith, an act of faith, be one-time event, or does it need to continue? And we talked a little bit about that. So he talked about some examples about, uh, you know, repent as a command. So repent ye. And what does that mean? Does that mean repent one time and you're good? Does that mean repent for one thing and you're covered for the rest of your life? And no, the implication is that's not the case. The faith needs to be a continuous thing. And so um, he, he brings up some really interesting notions here. Uh, the whole concept of Calvinism versus Arminianism, and I don't want to hear any warring factions. You Calvinist, you Arminian. So um, he talks about Calvinism in theology, saying that uh, they profess eternal security. It teaches that genuine believers may stumble or fall, but they will nevertheless persevere in the Christian faith. And then he talks a little bit about uh, Arminianism, which believes that uh, genuine believers can fall away from the faith, and that when they do stumble and fall, they forfeit their salvation. So you really have two different camps. One camp says you can stumble and fall. You haven't lost your salvation unless you completely turn your orientation away from Christ. And the other side says when you stumble and fall, you forfeit your salvation. So there's a slight difference between the two. My personal feeling, I, I kind of like Calvinism. I, I don't like to count people out just because they've stumbled and fallen because I know I have, you know, so I wouldn't want to say to somebody, well, you definitely lost your salvation because of what you did Friday night, you know, I, I just, I don't really see that as being, wow. <laughs> so, um, the Apostle John said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, but he also said, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, and Don Crow points out that we have a paradox, but not an inconsistency. It's not that we don't sin anymore. We're all human beings. We live in a fallen world, and we will sin. That is a given. But as a Christian, when you're walking in faith, you're walking ever closer towards Christ. You're always trying to orient yourself towards Christ and move towards him closer and closer. So that's the point. Even if I fall, I'm going to stand up, dust myself off, orient myself towards Christ, and start moving back towards him again. It's when you fall and you get up and say, forget this, and now you start walking away from Christ. Now you're talking about, you know, possibly losing your salvation. That's where this whole gray area comes up. Do you lose your salvation or not? So I don't know. I think there's plenty of good examples out there of people that have actually been, you know, Satan worshipers who've been saved, you know, and, and, and they've come back to the church because the truth keeps working at them and the Holy Spirit keeps pricking their heart. So 
yeah, I, it, it's very difficult for a human to discern when another human has lost their salvation. So that, that's a really gray area. I don't think we should delve into too deeply. Um, all Christians sin, which we talked about, but all Christians also obey uh, 1 John 2, 3. Do you have that scripture handy, Chris? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. I believe that one says that if you love me, you keep my commandments. Those that love God keep his commandments, if I remember correctly. So he says, we'll get back to that phrase as soon as they pull that up. Sin and carnality are still present with Christians, but, and this is important, sin cannot be their master or distinguishing trait. So, and, and you can tell somebody who that becomes their defining characteristic when they're all wrapped up in a specific sin. Um, so yes, First John 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Right, and, and I've missed commandments all the time, probably on a daily basis, but I continue to dust myself off and continue to stand up and orient myself towards Christ and continue walking towards Christ. It's a continuous improvement thing. He mentions in here something very important. Um, let's see if I can find it real quick. It's not perfection. I forget where he says that. It's not perfection. So none of us are perfect, and I doubt we'll ever be perfect. But it's a, it's a process by which we continually get better and better and better. Um, with the sin thing, I was driving down the road the other day, and I got to tell you, this really irks me. It, it really kind of frightened me, and then I put that down, and I said, that's not the place. We're not given a spirit of fear and timidity. But there was a car driving down the road, and the license plate said, God killer on it. It was, a, it was an abbreviation, but it said God killer. And he had pagan bumper stickers all over it. And it's like, you know, what's his defining characteristic? He's in rebellion against God. He hates God for whatever reason, and he's advertising it all over the place. It's a real clear example of someone whose defining characteristic is a sin that they have literally embroiled their life with. So not saying that anybody here <laughs> is doing anything quite that drastic, but it's important that if we sin, it does not become our master. So here's a guy who's in some, so much rebellion, I doubt he's willing to hear the truth, you know. He's let that become his master, his hatred of God. True repentance and faith requires a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, even though it is not perfection. And that's exactly what we're talking about. I love that example of direction, not position. If we fall and we stand up, no matter what our position is, it's our direction. What direction are we heading? That's important. It's not about perfection. We've talked many times, or at least Pastor Brian has talked many times about folks who say, I'll get to church as soon as I clean my life up, you know, or I'll get to church as soon as I can stop doing that one sin. But, I mean, how is that possible, right? We're never going to be perfect enough to be acceptable to God until we accept Christ into our heart. And then we become the perfection through Christ. He says, uh, fruit is still a test of faith's reality and genuineness. In other words, if your faith is real, then you'll act on that faith. And if you act on that faith, it's going to generate some kind of fruit. Faith is a firm, firm, supernatural conviction that governs the true believer's behavior. Faith is a firm, and he calls it supernatural. 
That's pretty awesome. So faith doesn't come from me. It's supernatural. It's, it's a gift. It's like given to me. It's supernatural. It's a conviction that governs my behavior and results in accompanying actions. So, and I think, you know, years ago, I remember not realizing that faith required action. And I heard this story told. This was, this was so cool. I was in, uh, on my way to work, and I heard this on the radio. And the guy was saying, you know, if your house catches fire, and you're in the bedroom, and the house is engulfed in flames, and you, and you have faith, and you say, I know I'm going to get saved. We have the best fire department in the whole region. I know I'm going to be saved. That's faith. I know I'm going to be saved. So a few moments later, the window crashes in, and a fireman's ladder appears, and you start dancing around. Hooray! Hallelujah! I'm saved! I have faith. But if you don't do anything, you're going to die in the house fire. Faith requires an action that you need to get out of that window and climb down that ladder. So faith by itself really doesn't do us any good. It has to have an accompanying action that provides fruit. And the fruit would be to save your skin by climbing down the ladder. So I thought that was a really cool example. Uh, Let's see here. It's a, it's, a, it's a supernatural conviction that governs the true believer's behavior and results in accompanying actions. This is shown from the examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and that results in corresponding actions. In other words, and this was a key phrase, what we do is the outcome of what we believe. Didn't you say you could quote Yoda on that? I think that one's a good Yoda quote. You, you, what does he say? What's the, when he's trying to lift the, the starfighter and he says... I don't believe it. And he says, that is why you fail. Because you, you become or you do what you believe. That's really cool that we can inject Yoda into a <laughs> Sunday sermon. <laughs> the book of James says, show me thy faith without thy works and I will show you, I will show you my faith by my works. So it's kind of like, which end of the telescope are you looking in? You should be able to look at the fruit and see the faith as opposed to look at the faith and, and not see the fruit. When the apostles speak in a negative way about works, they're referring to the works of the law. And that is, anything that someone does to work for their salvation. So, you know, we see people all the time in the news, famous folks, you know, but they set up a school in Africa or they, they own a feeding center that feeds thousands of people. Doing good works for the sake of doing good works doesn't get you anything either. The scriptures speak of the fruit of salvation, which is good works or works of faith. Those are the works or actions that proceed from repentance and faith. And he goes on here to say, the unity that is expressed between both repentance and faith is that they both have the same fruit or evidence. I had to read that several times to understand that whole concept. Unity that is expressed between repentance and faith is that they both have the same fruit or evidence. So I think what he's saying is you can't have one without the other. You can't have fruit without repentance. You can't have fruit without faith. The faith will generate repentance or vice versa, and then you'll produce fruit, but you have to have both of those. So it's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. So in other words, our faith has to change us. Something has to change. You cannot continue to do bad stuff and produce fruit, even though you say you have faith. So I think that's what he's getting at, that the whole point of the lesson is it's not a one-time act of faith. It's a continuous thing. It must be applied throughout the rest of your life. 
We are not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. Works are a test of faith's reality and grace that does not eventually affect one's life and actions. I'm sorry. Works are a test of faith's reality and grace that does not eventually affect one's life or actions cannot be considered being the true grace of God. In other words, if you sit here Sunday after Sunday and you say you've received the grace of God and yet you go out and live like the devil Monday through Saturday again, then you really haven't received the true grace of God yet. And who's guilty of that? I know I am. And there are times, when, and, and I'm conscious of it. So it's like, man, how come I'm not getting this, right? So uh, it's important we keep applying that, apply that faith. Jesus teaches that by fruit, true believers will be known. And we talked last week about transplanting trees. And if you have a tree and it's an apple tree and everybody calls it an apple tree and it produces one pear, guess what? It's a pear tree. It's known by its fruit. I don't care what you call that tree. It's known by its fruit. And so he talks in here a little bit, and we won't go over it right now, but he talks about Christians in name only. So there are a lot of people, and I heard somebody say this to me the other day, isn't Hillary Clinton a card-carrying Christian? First of all, I didn't know they issued cards for that, but secondly, I thought to myself, <laughs> boy, you've got to judge by somebody's fruit, not by what they call themselves. And I think that really speaks for itself. So that conversation ended right there. <laughs> uh, that's all I had as far as lesson goes. If you wanted to address the questions, do you want me to leave you the sheets here, or do you have yeah, them? Do you want the answers, or do you think confident enough to answer those? Well, I have those here, too, so it doesn't. <laughs> it's good that we have answers on paper. That, that's a nice thing. <laughs> I need it personally. Thank you, Jeff. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to finish up because it, this can be quite, a, quite an interesting topic as far as uh, what's going on here and, you know, all right, this is the second time this week I've answered the question, can we lose our salvation? So, which is very interesting. But let, let's turn real quick to uh, 1 Timothy and chapter 4. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Um, okay, so there's the end of that discussion right there, right? All right, so the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, this is the Holy Spirit talking, right? <laughs> the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. And I want you to notice this. How does that happen? Pay it, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, it's funny because we were actually looking at this verse last night. And um, deceitful spirits is, uh, let me give you an example of both of these. Okay. And both of these are probably, um, some people will not like that I talked about this. But, uh, you know, it, it, that's uh, something that you'll have to deal with. So what's good is <laughs> that's something that's good for you to do. And um, uh, there's a lot of Christians that aren't doing that, and that's why we've got some of the problems in the world we do. So it's good for you to deal with it. So, for example, let's say deceiving spirits. I know a story of, so in later times, look, the spirit says, later times some will fall away from the faith. 
paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I just read a story this week by Brother Hagen where there was a lady who her and her husband were in ministry. He said this lady was um, beautiful. She was a pretty lady. Uh, he said I would say she was above average. She was also very talented and had a lot going for her, and they were in ministry. But at some point, what happened was a spirit, and she talked about this uh, to him at one point, a spirit came to her and said, you are too pretty to just have this life. You could have so much more. And now, that sounds like, you know, hearing it from me speaking up here, all of a sudden, it sounds like, all the, well, we know what to do with that. But that's, you know, it's one thing when you're hearing it come out of my mouth from a, from a pulpit. It's another thing when you're walking through life and you're like, I deserve more. Because that's what that is. Yeah. That's the same thing. I deserve more. And so the first time she put it down, and it came several times, but eventually one of those times she accepted that and started to believe I could have more. I am not, I don't have the life that I could have. I have too much beauty and talent, basically. And I deserve more. She started listening to that, and uh, this lady eventually went on. If I, I believe, he just told the front part of that story, but I believe I know from another book where he told the end of the story is she got to a place where she completely denied Christ and walked away from the faith. And... Uh, so that's exactly what this is talking about. That's deceitful spirits. But they'll, they'll deceive in multiple ways. It's not just applying, you know, it's not just saying, well, you deserve more. That's not the only way they deceive. Uh, now, we'll go on to this one, doctrines of demons. This is one of the best examples I know of this uh, in today's world because it's growing in popularity. It's exactly what we were looking at and talking about last night. We were watching a, a video on some of this. And uh, so what would a doctrine of a demon be? What? <laughs> what would a doctrine of a demon be? It would be anything that comes against Christ, anti-Christ. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. It would be one that is formed by demonic forces, right, with the demonic influence on it, demonic roots, Something that's very hard. Um, okay, so we'll just go. We'll just go right there. So, but that can look very simple, and it can look not mean, not bad, and not evil, and yet have ties to demonic roots, right? right? So, you want to know the one that's the biggest one out there right now that's in America, huh? Caillou. Caillou. <laughs> Somebody said Caillou. I am not going to rebuke that. Um, <laughs> that is so awesome. Uh, yoga. Yoga is one of the biggest. The original uh, influence in yoga was the poses were to open up spiritual avenues and give worship to a demon. That's Pure and simple, that's what it is. And you can't separate that. Well, I do Christian yoga. No, 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 no. You're still doing the wrong things. And it, the influence there and the, just the, um, the direction of it is doctrines of, it's demonic doctrine. 
So that's one of those things, and you can't get away from it. I, what was the example they gave last night in trying to separate doctrines of demons in that from, they said, trying to separate and say, well, I don't participate in that portion of it, right, is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. They said participating in yoga would say, but I don't participate in the spiritual aspect, is like reading the Book of Mormon saying, well, I'm not a Mormon. I don't believe what they do, but I'm constantly going to read it because I like it and I, I get something out of it. No, no, eventually the doctrines of demons and the influence that's on that is going to take place and going to take some precedent in your life. You're going to open yourself up to it. You're opening yourself up to doctrines of demons. Now, see that, and it's like, but it doesn't, it's not evil. Well, it's made to not look that way, but at the root it is, and that's, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, they... What she said was there's the positions were even created to open up your spiritual man so that um, bad spiritual things can happen, basically. Yeah, color, the color runs. That's, an, that's another. This is, it falls under this. The color runs where they go and then at the end they douse you with the color, right? Do you know what, where that actually comes from? It's a, it's a demonic worship in India where they come and throw color all over you. That's where it comes from. So we just go run a run, but we don't realize that we are actually participating in these things. So anyway, I'm, this is not really our topic, but it's interesting that I was just, we were just studying on that last night. So thanks for that example as well. These are things, so the devil does this. He constantly brings up deceitful spirits and he constantly tries to introduce the world to doctrines of demons. Why? Because he's trying to get you to fall away from the faith. He's trying to get anybody that he can to fall away. So he presents things as simple and easy and non-evil when the, at the root they're just pure evil. And uh, it doesn't mean that everybody that's doing them even knows that they're evil. It just means that he introduces something that looks like it has no hooks, but it's got hooks built all into it. And it's designed to cause people to fall away. And, and he's done a good job. And so you've got people that are actually practicing such things like this that go to church and they're Christian and they're good. And then they're actually falling in line with these things. And that's one of those things where you just want to really open yourself up and say, I was thinking yesterday, listen to this, any doctrine or belief that I have, okay, if, it is, if it's something worthy of believing, right, if a doctrine that I have is worthy of believing, I should be able to test it this way. I should be able to completely back away from that belief, push it away, throw it away, completely go unbiased, back to the full counsel of the word and find that it says the word teaches me completely unbiasedly the exact same thing. Okay? If I have a belief that I can't throw away and unbiasedly go back to the word and the words tell me the same thing in the full counsel of the word, it's not worth believing. So in other words, I, and this is where when people don't, what we're talking about is the fruit of salvation. 
when people don't open themselves up for the word to judge their life and wash themselves by the washing of the water of the word and those beliefs, they don't allow the word to wash over them. They are completely opening themselves up to all sorts of deception that lead to that falling away. Not only falling away, but let's say they don't fall away, but they bring this belief and they give it to somebody else and now they fall away. So just based off of what I, you know, let's say that what I said about yoga is true. And then you've got a Christian or, you know, even, even a pastor that comes up and he says, oh, no, it's fine. Well, what have I just introduced to somebody else? Now, I might not fall for it, but I just helped somebody else fall. This is, this is where we have to really put on some responsibility. So now, so can people fall away from the faith? Yeah, I would absolutely. It's, and there's multiple scriptures about it. Let's turn to uh, Romans chapter 7. Gracious Jeff. No, no. <laughs> I was just looking for somebody to blame the time on. All right, good. Romans chapter 7. Yeah, yeah. Nicole's good at, at receiving that now. He goes, so that's how that feels. So in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, all right, so is pre doing here, is it present tense or past tense or future tense? It's present. So the, he's in the middle of this as he's writing. You see that? For what I am doing, I do not understand. Now, this is Paul writing to the Romans. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. He's sinning. When? While he's writing the book of Romans. Well, that's interesting. Here's the man who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. But he, right here he's being influenced by the Holy Spirit to write one of the greatest books on doctrine ever. And the Holy Spirit's flowing through him. But he, what he's confessing to you, he's just being glass house and transparent. I still got stuff I'm working on. So he's sinning. So is just one sin, do you think that Paul is going to hell because he messed up now that he's been born again? No. No, the, the word shows us that he's not. So there's some grace here as well, you see. Now, it doesn't mean that he should take advantage of that grace. Later on, he writes about that and says, God forbid. But it's interesting, and we'll just keep on reading. He said, but if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. In other words, even though he's born again, he still has a sin nature that's wrapped up in the flesh. Well, and that's okay. In other words, it's not, it's not something that you should be condemned by because you have flesh. All right? Don't be condemned because you have flesh. But be convicted to put the flesh down. Okay? Don't take the condemnation for having a flesh, but you should have conviction to crucify the, the deeds of the flesh. 
for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And then he explains, because he's a spirit man, he says, that is in my flesh. He says, in other words, in my flesh, man, there's nothing good there. For the willing is present in me, but the doing is not. In other words, in my spirit, I want to do what's right, but in my flesh, I don't. And having understanding of this is very important to you getting on top of this. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. See, again, this is present tense. This is in, he's talking about right now, I'm going through some stuff. I'm figuring it out. I'm putting down the flesh. So this takes away the whole attitude that, you know, because a lot of times what we do is we go into church and we look at the preacher or whatever or whoever's speaking, we think they're perfect. And the devil says, well, they'll, they're perfect. You'll never get there. So why even try? I mean, this right here helps us see that, look, they got to deal with the flesh as well. They've got to put down some things. And if they can move and attain higher levels of maturity in Christ, so can you. And you can. That's great news. He says, but verse 20, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. That's the spirit man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Have you ever felt that way? Ever been in that place where it's like, man, when am I going to finally put this thing down? It's going to happen when you do the same thing that Paul does right here. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you turn to Christ to put down that man, he will empower you to crucify the flesh. But you've got to make a decision. You've got to not play with it. You've got to not put it off. You've just got to deal with it. You can't, you can't keep listening to the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of devils. You've just got to deal with your flesh. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans 8, 1. Great, great thing. So what do we see in those two different verses? We see that actually, yes, you can fall away, but you also see that in Romans, uh, just because you sin once doesn't mean you're falling away. Okay, uh, and I'm just I'm going to be real short with this this portion of it, and this is actually something that uh, if we did it right, you could literally speak for weeks on this subject of d does a Christian can a Christian fall away? Can they uh, can they lose their salvation? You should spend weeks. I'm just going to give you the short version of where I've come to in years of looking at that, and that is yes, you can come, uh, fall away. It's harder than you probably think. And I would say it just like this. You have to get to a place where you consciously, you consciously make a decision to not to basically reject, rebuke, and renounce Christ on the same level of a decision that you accepted him. Okay? Because you have a free will to do that. 
Now, to get to that place, that's not like, well, I just got drunk one night and said something stupid. That's not what it's talking about. Or I've got a mental sickness on me or something. And then, and this is where a lot of people, you know, there was a doctrine forever that if you committed suicide, uh, you were, you know, you were going to hell. Well, that is not, that does not line up with the fullness of the counsel of the word, in my opinion. Now, and I'll tell you, scholars argue about this, but what I see in here is if I'm sick and I die of a disease, that doesn't mean I'm going to hell. Well, if I have a mental sickness and it's not working as well and I make a dumb decision, that doesn't send me to hell either because you need, this has to be a conscious decision to deny and renounce Christ. When you do that, here's the unpardonable sin. The, you know, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. The word says when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you. So when you renounce, what you are literally doing is just like, a, you know, like an aspirin bottle when it is sealed up. When you renounce, you are ripping off the seal of the Holy Spirit. And now you are leaving no more sacrifice for yourself when you reject Christ. Consciously make a decision to do that. Then that's the place. At that point, you have no more love left in you. And the truth of the matter is you don't care whether or not you're born again. And so a lot of times when people come to me and say, have I committed the unpardonable sin? Can I, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. Am I, am I going to heaven? The reason that they're even concerned about that is because they've got at least some love in them. When you renounce Christ, you've got no love left in you, and you wouldn't care. So, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I would say that if you, you know, when she said when they, you say renounce, you say verbally say it out loud. Uh, it does come down to, I would say, confession and belief, you know. Um, now, I would say the strongest portion of that is your heart, okay? It is your heart, but in order to enter into that covenant, you have co confession and belief. I think that shows us that going out of it, you need to have confession and belief with your heart as well. Or you know, or you're you know basically killing that faith that you did have in Christ. Yeah, so you need to have that intent of your heart and that confession uh, to break it as well. So this is a pretty big event, and here's the thing: it takes a lot to get to that place, but you can, and that's a sobering thing. And you go back to that verse that says people will fall away. How do they get to that place where they are ready to consciously reject Christ? They get to that place because they've followed deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons for too long to the point where they got so deceived that they decided this is what's best and consciously uh, made that decision and belief. Okay, So that is the very short version, and there's scripture that I, I would say backs all of that up. But it, it combines the grace and you know, the ability of a human to have free will. You know, it, it combines both of those. But most of the people that you come up and say, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Am I going to hell? Uh, the fact that they're asking kind of proves uh, that they're not in that position. So... Um, I could open that up for questions, and we would be here for a long time. And we still have questions on this. Um, let us do this. Let us, well, again, have you gotten something out of it this morning? Because we're already past time. Let us review this just very briefly again next week. I'll just review it. And... 
then I'm going to go into these questions and then possibly open up some other questions before we go to the next week's lesson. Okay? Does that sound good? So any questions you have on any of this, if they haven't already been answered, just hold on to them and we'll go over them. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, we just thank you for the beauty and the comfort and the confidence of your word. Thank you, Father, for the comfort and the confidence of your word. We don't have to be fearful, but man, does your word bring us peace and brings us the place that we can live in. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the comfort and the peace of having guidelines, uh, of seeing, being able to see the road. Thank you, Father, for your word. We praise you for it. Lord, thank you for the grace and the salvation that Jesus provided for us, Lord. Let us not only confess him and believe that God raised him from the dead, but, Lord, let us have fruit that remains forever, the fruit let our work show our belief in Christ. Let us live for him. Let us live a life that testifies to his goodness and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us.